0: Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. Joining me, Deacon Tom Murphy. Welcome, Deacon Tom.
1: Thank you so much, Karen.
0: We are... (laughs) having a great time talking with the deacons in this series and I am excited to have you as a guest because you're not from here.
1: And we don't even know each other.
0: Yeah, but, <laughs> no, we, do. we do. Full disclosure, he is the deacon at my parish, so I, he knows me probably better than anyone else. On and likewise, podcast.
1: Karen knows me better than the, most other parishioners would.
0: Yeah, so I would like you to tell uh, a little bit about yourself, your name, some family information, and what you do for a living.
1: Well, first, right after the earth stopped cooling, <laughs> I was born in a little, little town back in New Jersey called Maple Shade. I was born to a family of six people in total. I have three beautiful sisters, all older than me, all much, much nicer than me and, and, and more beautiful. Uh, that, that's in case they're listening. <laughs> but they, I was the uh, spoiled brat of the family. And um I was blessed to be part of the family. My mother and my father were were great examples for us, and my sisters were truly um, beautiful people that that helped me hopefully become the person that I am now.
0: Excellent. And then you ended up getting married. I know that.
1: Yes, I met my wife in college in in, in a study group. Both of us were having a hard time getting through one of these classes, and we all got together, and at the end of the college semester, We had done pretty well, so we wanted to um, go out and have dinner with each other. And lo and behold, out of six people, only me and Effie showed up. So we decided to go out and have dinner. Four hours later, we were closing down the place (laughs) (laughs) with a lot of breadsticks and a lot of nervous conversation. But from that moment, we we knew there was something special, and I I found the love of my life. So it turned out to be pretty good, and I think we did good in the class as well.
0: Now, one interesting thing about your wife, Effie, is she was not Roman Catholic.
1: No, no, she was Greek Orthodox.
0: And that is surprising to me that she came from there to here.
1: It was surprising to her father as well, (laughs) because initially me and her father did not hit it off really well. We had a lot of bumpy years, but let me tell you, he became a second father to me. What we found out is that we loved the same woman, just in a different way. You know, he, he loves her as a father. I love her as a husband. So uh, I was blessed to call him my, my father-in-law.
0: And then you became parents.
1: Yes, yes. We worked for worked. We struggled a little bit early on to to get pregnant. We had some miscarriages, but we are blessed uh, with two beautiful children: a, a boy named Sean and a girl named named Lauren. And now, in April, they're going to be thirty-two years old. My wife Effie and I are saying, "How did we get this old?" But <laughs> we look in the mirror, and yes, God confirms it. we, we are this old.
0: Oh, that is so great. So your road to the diaconate wasn't easy in the sense of you resisted.
1: I felt something was missing in my life, and everything was going good. I have a beautiful marriage, challenging job, but a a well-rewarding job. But I had this, like, gnawing thing at me that something was missing, and what it was. And it was funny. My wife worked at another parish uh, in in the office, and one of the uh, ladies there, her husband, was becoming a deacon. And so we went to the ordination mass, and it was nice, uh, you know, event, ceremony. But this woman behind me taps me on the shoulder. I think she knew, well, she knew Effie, but she didn't know me from from Adam. And she taps me on the shoulder and says, you should be up there. <laughs> and that started a, a theme over the next, say, six months to a year, where, you know, around the church, and maybe not even around the church, at, at some other social function, people would bring up the deaconate to me. And at the time, I really didn't even understand what a deacon was, although I did know that he preached or proclaimed the gospel. And public speaking was something that always intimidated me. It scares me. And that, I think, is when, when you're going through a discernment process of any kind, what was confirmation for me that, that I was called to be a deacon is it was something I would never have chosen for myself. It was so much of a stretch, and to get out of my comfort zone that I could only do it, and I only can still do it today from God's grace because it's not in me on my own, and I know that. And that keeps me humble, and it keeps me honest. And hopefully in my preaching it comes through. You preach to yourself first, and if you're preaching to yourself first, then the people in the pews that need to hear that message will hear it. And it will be real to them because it won't be somebody preaching down to them. It's once again the word company, to walk with, preach with, to share. And when you share from your life, then something will spark a memory in the other person's life sitting in the pews, and that's that connection. That's that invitation to have a relationship with Christ that I think we're all called to have. And it's such a challenge for us to actually take that step out of our comfort zone. Sorry.
0: Yeah, for sure. That is, you know, and then to put that into action, to hear it in a sermon, to know that yeah. I am accompanying you in this challenge, I guess, that I'm putting out to you right now. That's, got it. that's what we need to hear in the pews. Absolutely. So when were you ordained a deacon?
1: I was ordained on May 12th of 2012.
0: Okay, and you were ordained in which diocese?
1: The Diocese of, of Trenton, New Jersey. That's where my, my funny accent comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I came from South Jersey to South Dakota, somehow, someway. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and when did you come to South Dakota?
1: Believe it or, n- or, or not, it was on Holy Thursday on 2021. So ap- it was April 1st, April Fool's Day.
0: <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs>
1: It was crazy. Timely. <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy. It was, uh, my wife and I came out here. Uh, there was some craziness going on back in New Jersey with, with COVID, uh, you know, lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. And the church restricting the sacraments, for all for good reasons, but it was something that, that we had a hard time dealing with. And we chose to come out to free state of South Dakota and come closer to our one son who lives in Denver. We drove out of the, out of our driveway for the very last time in New Jersey, looking at each other. I forget who said it first and said, are we really doing this? <laughs> in, in our mid-60s, going to a state that we know nobody but one realtor. But <laughs> God, God led us to the church that, that, that I'm serving at now, you know, St. Francis in Sturges. It's been a blessing. But it's also been confirmation for us how God works in, in, in our life. We couldn't have written this script. We could not have written it. And uh, God writes pretty well.
0: And hopefully we've been welcoming to you in Sturgis. Oh,
1: more than I can say. I mean, the, the prayer for vocations that, that, that we say at the end of Mass, the very first time that, that me and Effie heard that, we're like, they actually prayed for holy families too. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you pray for vocations, and, and it's normally priests or religious, you know, maybe deacons, but you, you don't hear back East. You don't hear praying for holy marriages, holy families. And that's the gift that God can bring to this world. That That's how we're going to transform this world into God's kingdom one day. It won't be from any government mandate. It, it's, it's going to be from us strengthening our families.
0: So one of the ways that you support the families in the Sturgis Parish is you're the director of religious education. Now, I'm sure that comes with its own set of learning curves and struggles, but it also comes with a lot of blessings. What have you learned as a deacon in charge of
1: religious <laughs> formation for all these kids in Sturgis. It was about the way that, that that I felt when when I got confirmed by God that I wanted or that he wanted me to be a deacon. This is something I would never have chosen for myself. I mean my wife is the CCD teacher. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> But that's part of being a deacon. It's also part of being just a baptized disciple of Christ, is that we have to be quiet and listen to God's calling for us. And when when Father Timothy asked me to be the DRE, it was like something, okay— Back in New Jersey, I, my ministries were basically support groups and that type of thing. But now here, this is how the, the, the parish of St. Francis ne- needed me. And you know what? If it, it was really truly God's will, then I was going to be able to, to, uh, to do it. The blessings just come from seeing the strength in our families in, at St. At Francis. When Effie and I, my wife, came out here to South Dakota, we recognized right away the the, the priority that families put on, on on their faith and transferring, inviting their children to really not just have book knowledge about Jesus Christ, but to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus was part of their family. And that's what we tried to do at, at, as part of our religious education program is that the first thing I said to our teachers is invite the children to have a relationship with Jesus, but do that by sharing your relationship that you have with Jesus. Because it's a work in progress. You know, some days we fall down, just like any parent knows. You're a parent, I'm a parent. When a child falls down, the first thing we want to do is help them, help them get up and, and give them a hug. Tell them that you're loved. The, the image I have, being a DRE, and I, I put it on the. I think one of the, of the first uh, messages I sent out to all the all the teachers is the message that, that Jesus said, "Let the children come to me. You help." Lead the children in your class to a deeper relationship with Christ, because that you're going to be the image of Christ to them yep. when you're sharing the word of God with them. So that's, exactly. that, that's, that's really, it, it's been, it been truly a blessing because it's not anything I would have ever chosen to do. But to be around children, just, just ask my wife, when I see a baby or a young, a, young, a young child, you were talking a minute ago about the smile on your face. How can you not believe that there's not a God when you look at, at a face of a child? Even if the child's crying, that's okay, right. but that, that, that's just a yearning for something that that the child needs, basically love.
0: Now, when you were in New Jersey, you worked more in other areas that deacons yeah. are called to be a pastoral figure in. What were some of those areas yeah. you worked in?
1: This is where it was much more clear for me. It was in 20, it was about 2015, 2016. I I had been an accountant all my life. I I got my CPA in 1987. You know, I was everything from a staff accountant to a CFO. And once again, God was saying, yes, you're a deacon, but I want more from you. So I actually, and this was hard for me because I was a guy that's always been driven to be successful and money. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times I made money my idol, and that was not a good thing. But this became very clear to me that I, I needed to do more. So my pastor and I talked, and the pastoral associate, who, who, who was a nun a year before, had retired. And I had always said to Father, you know, for Father Rich, if there was any chance for me to ever become a full-time minister, I would, I would love to do it. I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to, to make that big change, but you know what, if there's ever a need, uh, or you, you think the parish needs a pastoral associate again, and he actually gave me that opportunity. So I, I actually served for him. He say, he brought me on board. And he said, look, we need to do outreach. We need to do outreach, food pantries, uh, homeless. We need to do outreach to the divorced and separated. We need to, to to do outreach to the alcoholics and the drug addicts and their loved ones, you know, both sides of the table of addiction. So my ministries I focus on there was basically on reaching out and to accompany when you go through addictions and, 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 and divorced and separated, you feel abandoned, you feel hurt, you feel isolated, and there's a stigma that, that attaches you. It makes you withdraw from society because you feel like you're all messed up, and, and you're not. You're, you're wounded, but you're not messed up. Mm-hmm. And that, they are the support groups, and that was my main ministries, was to start those ministries, which are, thank God, they're five years later, they are still going well and uh, serving so many people. This one group that we, we started at, at St. Jones back in New Jersey was called AOA, to accompany one another, AOA, mm-hmm. kind of like an AA, you know, a yeah. twist, but then to put a, uh, Pope Francis to accompany. And we could acc- to accompany one another through addiction to recovery. And what we had done was we had used a Bible, a Bible called the Life Recovery Bible, and that Bible takes uh, sacred scripture and then weaves it together in a very simple format with the 12 Steps of Recovery. And that's what we did for, for five years while I was there, and they're they're still c- continuing it. So th- that's my passion. My, my passion is going to the hospitals, uh, work, working with people uh, that are homebound, and even with hospice. But it's always just... See, I prefer the one-on-one. I, I, I know a lot of times people see deacons, Yeah, we're wearing the vestments and we're at the altar. But the, one, the first thing someone had told me, uh, he, he was a deacon, he said, Tom, I know you're trying to learn what, what a deacon is, but what you see up there at the altar with the deacon, that's 5% of what a deacon does. Ninety five percent is at home with your family, at work, on the streets, in the checkout line, at Walmart, because people know who you are and you you are a witness to Christ. If you like it or not, I love it. But if you don't you don't know how many people are watching you all throughout the day, if you're a deacon or not, They, they are saying, is this is this person witnessing to a higher power or are they their own higher power? but we're we're called to witness and and to bring people to God, but we're we're not God. And sometimes uh, I think we can can forget that in this society.
0: So this pastoral care, this stepping outside of yourself, that comes with a lot of trust in God.
1: (laughs) Yes. I'm assuming. (laughs) Yes, it does.
0: (laughs) I'm assuming God has also worked on you and in your life to prepare you for this ministry or for the unique ministries that he has called you to, whether it is helping those in homebound or in the hospitals or being director of religious education.
1: (laughs) The, the one thing God doesn't do, he doesn't warn you that, that he's preparing you.
0: <laughs> right. He, no you, no you walk, memo is getting yeah, sent no, no, out. No, no, you,
1: no. You don't get a 30-day to-do list. You walk into a hospital room, and you don't know who you're going to find. And truthfully, you don't know how hurting they are. You uh, don't know right. how mad they are. Yeah, maybe they have no relationship with the church at all. Maybe somebody in the church looked at them sideways 20 years ago, uh, and, and now they... And they, it still hurts. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time Because you know what? You're 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 supposed to be holier than thou. And and, and you treated me horribly or you treated my daughter or my son horribly. And now yeah. and th- that's how we lose people in, 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 in the church today. It's not on theology. It's not on doctrine. It, it, it's on, on the way that we choose or not choose to treat one another. That's what we uh, need to get a lot better at, and I mean, that's why each individual person, we need to get better at just being a true witness of Christ to to the person in in front of us.
0: So one of the things that I find interesting is that when a deacon is ordained, of course, he has an idea of what's coming up in the sense of obligations and the liturgical aspects of his calling and all those things, but I find that there are a lot of deacons who are like, wait, I didn't expect that. Or, oh, gosh, that was really surprising to me. What has been very surprising to you that that either God has equipped you with that you weren't equipped with before or something that he has given you an opportunity to be Christ to someone Uh. (laughs) in a way that was very surprising?
1: I I, I just I just got to (laughs) chill. I got to chill when you said that. There was a moment, I think it was before I was a deacon, I can't really remember. My pastoral care history, I've been going to hospitals for like 15 years. Let me mention this to you too. The funny thing that Effie will, will, will tell you about me is that as I was a, a young child, as I became a, a, an adult, for me to go into a hospital, I would get nauseous. I, the smells, the seeing the tubes. I would go visit my mother one time. She was having some some heart problems, and I I passed out. I would get nauseous going into a hospital. So I should have said that to you way back when, at the very beginning <laughs> about pastoral care, because that's how God moved. He wanted me yeah. to go there when when Sister Peg invited me. She was a chaplain at that hospital. She uh, she invited me to be an EM to bring communion. I said you don't know who you're, you're asking. I I'll try, but. I, I get sick. But I need I mean, a backup. Vi- I for... visibly, yeah, and she, need, she needed that. And lo and behold, seven years later or whatever, I, I, I was a deacon. You're saying about, about surprises. I think this was maybe after maybe one or two years of going to the hospital, I walked in, into this room, and it was just very nice, the lady's all by herself. And I w- walked in. I said, you know, I'm, I'm Tom Murphy from Saint Joan of Arc. I, I'd like to pray with you. And I brought Holy Communion if, if you would like to receive. And she said yes, and we had a nice, nice little conversation together. And then when we, when we started to say our prayers, I don't always do this. I, it's not something. I plan. That's one thing in pastoral care, you can't have an agenda. You can't go in saying, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Because I, I tried that early on, does not work. You have to go in and say, they're the pilot, you're the co-pilot. You're guiding them, but they're in charge. So I'm, I'm walking in, and I, I, I start to say prayers with, with, with this uh, older lady. <laughs> Probably at my age now. <laughs> but she, she, she's the <laughs> older lady. And I don't always do this, like I started to say before. And I've just, I just held her hands. And you close your eyes, like we good Catholics do. We close, close our eyes. So, you know, said Hail Mary, said the Our Father, said the Glory Be. And then, then I gave her communion. And then I, uh, she starts crying. Not, not bawling, but she started tearing up and crying. Now I'm saying to myself, I got into my zone of praying. What did I say? <laughs> yeah, I, I, thought I, I thought I maybe messed up or something. And she said, do you know how long it's been since anybody has held my hands like that? She said to me that her children would talk to her on the phone every week, but they lived out of state. Her husband, I can't remember how long, but maybe 10, 15 years had been passed away. She's a, and now she's in this hospital, scared, doesn't know what's going to happen. I don't know what serious disease she had, or maybe it wasn't even serious. I don't know. All I know is that she was hurting, and I didn't know that when I walked in. All she said to me was, it felt so good just, just to have somebody hold my hands. Talk about grace flowing two ways. I know she countered Christ in that moment by me holding her hands. But as soon as I saw her tears of joy come back to me and have her tell me that I didn't even know what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing, God gave me the grace flowing back. And that reminds me every time I walk into a hospital room that you don't know what that person is dealing with. And you have to just relax, use your mouth and your ears in the proportion that God gave them to you and just listen and trust in God. We we're talking about trusting. Mm-hmm. Trusting is hard. Faith is easy. Trusting is put faith mm-hmm. in action and that's hard, but it is so beautiful and so rewarding. And that's what I love about pastoral care so much. It's just amazing.
0: Isn't? the moments of power that you yeah. are healed and they are healed and it's all god working on that through you to a relationship a living relationship with that person the patient whoever is yeah. having a problem with addiction whatever the call yeah. to be christ at that moment i
1: can tell you it's it, for me i've had i've had dozens more of, of similar type of situations and basically w- what i reflect on is the transfiguration Mm-hmm. because it's, it's like God breaking in, God breaking into our life and, and sharing His grace between two or more people at one time. It It's something you can't, you can't script it.
0: So what advice would you give to someone who's considering becoming a deacon?
1: The, the very first word that comes to me is prayer. It's hard for us in, in this day and age with all the technology that we have, but find your happy place, find your quiet place. And for, for me, I'm not sure if I shared this with you before, but when I was discerning to be a deacon, I was actually coming home from work and, and just spending time in, in the church. Nobody was there. I, that way, it was safe. Nobody knew I was there. <laughs> and, and I, I would actually came home. It was, I, I was praying from the tabernacle, yes. But this was, a, to me, the funny story, because my wife was way ahead of me on, on, on the theological scale. So uh, I, I was praying in front of this beautiful painting. It was painting of Jesus, and I I knew it was Jesus. Okay, so that that's a good start. But I'm praying, and it just I felt this I just felt this connection, and I so I'm trying to explain the picture when I got home to my wife, saying I just been doing this for months, and I just this has just been it's an amazing connection. I told her, well, it has like a heart and has some like thorns around it and drop of blood. And, she, and my wife says, well, that, that's a sacred heart of, of Jesus. I said, okay, well, that's what it's called. <laughs> but it was because Jesus was, say, healing me, but he was calling me with this heart. And that to me, I have such a devotion to the sacred heart. And we have, and for the last, uh, I want to say 10, 12 years, we have a picture that Effie bought for me that's hanging over, over our mantle of the sacred heart. And that, we brought that from New Jersey, so it's a New Jersey sacred heart.
0: And that brings me to just a good point of looking to the sacred heart of Jesus and seeing his wounds helps you to see the wounds in others.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And to help minister to them the way that he, he calls out to us, each of us, not just the deacons, but each of oh. us. Our call bap- to live our baptismal mo- yeah, call. The,
1: yeah, you beat me to it. The most important vocation that we all have is our baptism vocation. Everything flows from that. Matrimony, diaconate, single life, it mm-hmm. all flows from that, the baptism vocation. Priest, prophet and king. We are all called to be one
0: Well, obviously, your instruction from the pulpit at St. Francis has kicked in because I must be listening if I can set you up like that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Deacon Tom, for joining me today. And thank you for reaching out to the margins, to those who who need Christ most and being that light, that witness to them here in our diocese. But also thank you for your care over there in New Jersey, too.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. It's been been a blessing. And you know what? The best is still to come. Amen. Amen. If you feel God might be calling you to become a deacon or simply want more information about the Permanent Diaconate, please call me, Deacon Greg Sass, at the Diocese of Rapid City Chancery Office, 605-343-3541, extension 2228,